uh, to start this uh, new series. It's going to take a, a few weeks, actually, to do uh, uh, this first series before we jump into the book of uh, Gospel of Mark in a, about a month or so. But I'm going to read Psalm chapter 2, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into Psalm 1 and chapter 2 this morning. Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word this morning, we have heard it. We've received it into our ears and into our minds. I ask, Lord, that it would penetrate to our hearts, that we might see the, the glory of it, and the richness of it. That's a, that's a work that we cannot accomplish in our own natural strength. It is a supernatural work. So that is why we appeal to you in this moment to enable our hearing, enable our responding, and the worship that will follow. Help us this day, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Well, it was actually 21 years ago this month that I came to Countryside as a pastor. And um, when I came here, um, I, one of the responsibilities I was given was to lead worship. So I did that. I did that for, uh, for 16 years, I think, around that, around that number of uh, years. Um, and honestly, when I started doing it, it wasn't what I was particularly passionate about. Uh, in fact, I used to kind of joke and saying, well, I can play the guitar and sing on tune. So I, I, got that, I got that job. But I will tell you that through the years, uh, leading corporate worship here, the singing that we do, I came to love it. I loved that worship is a means of teaching how to engage with God. I, I grew to see the importance that it plays in the life of a person and the life of a church to sing together, and how, how it affects the soul of a church. Singing is the, uh, the perfect partner to preaching. Right? Praising and preaching should go together. Right? If you have preaching without praising, it's kind of like eating Thanksgiving meal but not talking about it. I mean, everyone knows, but like you, you talk about it in anticipation, and I think it makes the food better. All right? And then after you eat it, you're like, that was great. Let's talk about some more. Let's talk about next year's. You know, like, like we just have the anticipation because when you consume something good, it, in fact, it's stifling not to say something. It's stifling not to respond to it. 
And so preaching and praising should always go together. Praise to God is the proper response to truth from God. And so there's a reason why our world is full of songs of praise. Praising love, praising friendship, praising victory. Great truths naturally flow, overflow into music. And so the greatest truths, the greatest truths contained in God's Word in this book before us should overflow into the greatest music. In Job 38, it says, The morning stars and the sons of God sang and shouted for joy when they witnessed creation, when they saw the greatness of what God had done. And we look into the future of eternity and we see that we'll be singing there. Martin Luther says this, he says, said this, uh, the gift of language combined with the gift of song was only given to man to let him know that he should praise God with both word and music, namely by proclaiming the word of God through music. He also said this, he says, after theology, I give music the highest place and greatest honor. So truth Set to music, it actually accomplishes something in our life. It it tunes our hearts and our minds to match up with God's heart and mind. Kind of like, well, if you don't have, if you play an instrument, but if you play guitar, you don't have a tuner nearby, you you ask the piano player to play an E, and then you kind of tune yourself to to that E, so you can be in tune with the piano. Right, we all go to God's Word, and, it, and it, it tunes us. It puts us all set back to the same sound that we should have or the same mindset that we should have. And this can be done well, or it can be done really poorly. In other words, music can tune our hearts to God's heart and mind well, or music cannot do that. So the songs we sing matter right up there with the sermons we, that we preach matter. Songs shape us, who we are as individuals and who we are as a church, how we think as a church. And I've always tried to choose songs that point us to God rather than to ourselves. Choose songs that proclaim the gospel, that talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and His authority and His ascension. And I've also tried to choose songs, and we have tried to choose songs that will stand the test of time. Are there songs like, Be Thou My Vision, or um, mighty fortresses are God, or um, it is well with my soul. Like Those songs probably aren't going anywhere. They're going to last. I wonder if we'll sing them in heaven. I mean, when, when you sing a good song full of great truth, it's going to last. And it's not just old songs. There's songs we're singing today that have been written just in the last decade that we will find will be lasting songs. I'll tell you one more thought I've been having uh, recently with regards to why we're going to spend these weeks uh, as we are, and that's having children has affected my thoughts about worship. I want my children to grow up singing songs that tune their hearts to God's heart. I want their hearts stamped with certain kind of music, all right, because kids are right, they going to memorize songs? All right, there's the one song in our house right now that is just being sung all the time. It's called Peaches. All right, some of you have heard it before. Uh, 
you know, and like it's just it's on their minds. They're just singing that song. All, it's from a movie, by the way, for those who didn't see. I'm sure some of you did not see the Mario movie. Um, but when they, we get a song in our head, we, we, we repeat it and we sing it and, it, and, it, and it, it leaves an impression upon us, even if it's a stupid impression. It leaves an impression. So I want them to have songs in their hearts that are of a certain kind and quality. And if I could put it really bluntly, I want them to have songs in their mind and in their heart that will help them resist temptation when they're tempted to pursue the pleasures of the world. I want them to have songs in their hearts and on their minds that will enable them to endure prison where they would be put there for the sake of Christ. Or songs that will help them if they hear someday that their child has died or when they are dying. Those are the songs I want in their heart and mind. I want that in our hearts and minds. That lift our souls as high as possible to the gates of heaven. To sing the truths that will set us free. That's what worship should do. And I believe that we've done well at this overall as a church at Countryside. But there's one step that I think that we can take as a church toward tuning our hearts towards God's. One step that in some sense is kind of surprising to me that we have not taken. And it's this. This is what we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about. The habit of singing the Psalms. Right. I've, I've never been at a church that makes that a regular practice. We definitely sing songs that are rooted in the Psalms, for sure. I mean, even a mighty fortress is our God. It's taken partially from Psalm 46, or a, a more recent song that we've been singing, I Will Wait for You, which is taken exactly from Psalm 130. So we do do it. But as a whole, psalm singing has not been a steady diet of our worship tradition, and I suspect that's true for many in this room. I don't describe, ascribe any malice or even thoughtlessness to it. It's just not what I've known. But over the past few years, I've been convinced of the place that this should have in our lives, in our church. In fact, we had a, a summer series a few years ago, preaching from the Psalms, and I think it was something like preaching from, God, from God's hymnal, so some title like that. I thought, well, if this is God's hymnal, we should probably sing it. You know, we should probably sing from it. But it's also the pattern in Scripture. In 2 Chronicles 29, it says, King Hezekiah, I'm sorry, and Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshiped. What song do you think Jesus sang when he was growing up? It was from the Psalms. We can look at places, you know, on the night when he was betrayed, he, he talks, about, talks about how he sang psalms with the disciples. And the apostles actually instruct us, Paul, twice in Ephesians, or once in Ephesians, once in Colossians, says this in Ephesians 5, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart and your hearts to God. So if you want the Word of God to dwell in you richly, then sing psalms with thankfulness. If we're going to give the greatest encouragement to one another, to our children, as we journey through this life, the psalms are essential to ignite that fire within us, the fire of faith. You know, there's a reason why the Psalms are kind of our go-to place. You're going to visit somebody who's struggling, you're going to encourage a friend, it's pretty common you go to the Psalms. Someone's in the hospital, you visit them, you might read a Psalm to them. They're they're suffering, you read a Psalm to them. We, We go there naturally already. It's something we know how to do. In fact, doing this, as I've studied for this, as I spent the summer um, singing them, choosing ones that we will sing, I'll tell you, I don't think I've ever been so impressed just with the beauty of the Bible. I don't just mean the beauty of the Psalms, I mean the beauty of the Bible in studying the Psalms, in seeing how Jesus and the gospel are everywhere in the Psalms. And it's reminded me, this, this book before us is not just a natural book. Only God had, could have painted such a beautiful picture from beginning to end and tied the pieces together in the middle. When, when the things are being painted in the middle and they don't know what the end is yet, and then when you get to the end, you're like, I can't believe he's been talking about it the whole time. You know, like you begin to see the connections. And as we sing the Psalms, we'll need to sharpen a skill that we already possess. We already know how to read the Old Testament and think about the new. We do this instinctively, some of us, if you've been around, if if you're a believer for a while. Like, for example, you read Psalm 53, right? And you automatically think of Jesus. In fact, for some of us, it's impossible to read Isaiah 53 and not think about him and not think about the cross. It doesn't mention that. It doesn't mention his name but we have trained ourselves to see Jesus in the Old Testament. We read the verses from Isaiah every most uh, Advent seasons that a child will be born and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Like we, We read those words and we don't have to have someone tell us at this point it's about Jesus. We just know. Some of us might even read verses like Genesis 3.15. With the promise of the seed that will bruise Satan's head or crush his head. And, and we, we, we hear those and we know what it's talking about. Our minds have already been shaped by Jesus and the gospel. And we begin to see those in the New Testament or in the Old Testament. If you remember Jesus' words from Luke at the end after he had resurrected, He meets with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So you have suffering and glory. The prophets are talking about these things, about the Messiah. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He went back and said, let me show you how these Scriptures are about me. 
So I hope to show in the coming weeks that Jesus is present throughout the Psalms, just like he is present in Isaiah 53. And the more that we know about Jesus, the more that our worship of him will be strengthened by singing the Psalms. So that's all I can cover for introduction today. We'll get a little more introduction next week and a little more the next week. But um, since it is new for us, I don't want to just jump in. I know we can't just jump in. We have to be prepared to know how to do this. So this morning I want to cover uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And don't worry, I'm not going through all the Psalms to prepare us. Just a few. I want us to consider these two opening songs. And I suggest to you these two Psalms set the tone for the rest of the Psalms. In fact, they are the, the prelude or the overture, I'm calling it, the overture to the book of Psalms. Have you ever, if you remember going to a musical, before the musical starts, they have the, uh, you know, the, the, the orchestra is playing a little medley of songs, and it's bringing in all the songs that are going to come in throughout the musical, right? So you get a little hint, a little taste of what's to come. That's what Psalm 1 and 2 are for us. They do this. They set the themes for the Psalms. And I'll put them in this way, the blessed man and the sovereign king, or to put it more fully if it's in your notes there, as it's in your notes, the blessed man, the man who lives the word of God, Psalm 1, Psalm 2, the sovereign king, the anointed one who will rule the nations. I think if we have those in our minds and then we read the Psalms, we'll begin to see what we're supposed to be getting out of this. As we sing the psalms in the days to come, listen for the words of the blessed man and listen for the praises of the sovereign king. So let's consider Psalm 1 briefly here as we start. Blessed is the man. Psalm 1 begins with blessed is the man. And interestingly, Psalm 2 ends with blessed is the man. It's kind of the intro and the tag. Blessed is the man who does not walk in sin or the way of sinners. And then at the end of chapter 2, verse 12, blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Son, in Him, in the King. As we learn in the Beatitudes, there's such a thing as a blessed man. And it's important to know what that definition is, because we often use it really loosely. We'll say, you know, I'm really experiencing the blessing of God because I've, you know, I've got, my finances are good, we're healthy, things are going well, and those are kindnesses of God. But God specifically in both all the New Testament says, but let me tell you what, what it is to be truly blessed. Who is the blessed man? The blessed man is the one who knows the law of God and does it. The man who does not delight in sin and what rebels do. The man who does not fantasize about being with and participating in the sins of the scoffers. Instead, the blessed man is the one who delights in the law, who delights in the word of God, who, who, who dreams about the word of God coming true in his life, who thinks about the promises of God and longs to live in the reality of them and to see their joyful fulfillment, whether that be the joyful fulfillment of right now in my life. Or some of those would be like the joyful fulfillment in heaven. I just, I, I want to see the promises. Who wakes up considering the path which he has, 
which has been prepared by him, for him by the word of God. That was the word of God has set out a path for me to walk in. And I wake up thinking about it and wanting to walk in it. Or goes to bed recalling the truths that define his life and his family and his calling. In some ways you could say all the Psalms from 1 to the end, 150, are the meditations of the blessed man. They are the affections of the blessed man. In most cases, that blessed man is David. All right, Most of the Psalms are, are written by him. A man after God's own heart. So through David, we get to hear the worship, the worries, the faith, and the fears of a man walking by faith in God and shaped by his word. To a degree, we should say, we could say that David is such a blessed man that we find in Psalm 1. And through the voice of David, we have, I'll, I'll say, a, a musical commentary. All right? A musical commentary of the man who lives according to the word of God. So, but it's not just like a commentary like your study notes in your Bible. All right? It's an inspired commentary of how the blessed man thinks about his past, how, how the blessed man mourns over his sin, how the blessed man thinks about his own birth and about his death, how he thinks about hopes, hope in trials. And that's why I think we resonate with the Psalms. Like, we can read the Psalms and we can say, like, I, I need to know how to think about my trial. So we go to the Psalms and we read, and like, oh, okay, that's how I'm supposed to think, you know? Or I'm, I'm worried, or I'm concerned, or I'm happy. I, I'm, I'm grateful for what God has done for me. And then the Psalms show me how to, how to praise God and enter his courts with thanksgiving. We find someone who's wrestling with these questions, the same questions that we have. But I think this is also true. We read them and they're like, he's doing this so much better than me. All right? Like, this is how I should be repenting. This is what my worship should sound like. I'm not quite there yet. So it kind of sets before us, here's what worship should sound like. Here's what, what, what processing trials should sound like. So we look up to the blessed man whose words these are to give us the language to speak that way. His words of praise and cries for help are perfect. He, represent, he repents with the God-centeredness and eternal perspective that we often so much need, right? Like we, Our repentance can be so self-centered and we go to the psalms and like turn it like focus it direct it towards god go to psalm 51 and have a, a god word repentance it realigns our hearts and emotions and wills so if we want our affections and our wills and our passions and desires realigned then the psalms is where we go it's here that we find the heart of the blessed man on display, literally to teach us how to worship, to correct and rebuke us, to shape and fashion us into the fullness of who we're called to be in Christ. 
And I know that this room is full of people who want that to happen. Look, I, I know this room is full of people because it's full of Christians who do this imperfectly. And we all know what it's like to feel and to desire our wills and our hearts and our emotions to be retuned, for our repentance to be heartfelt, not to just be like, sorry it happened again, but to be like, Lord, before you and you only have I sinned, and to feel the weight of it. There are times we say, look, look, I, I want my worship to be joyful, like genuinely joyful today. And it's hard. It's not, it's not there today. You want that. You look at your life and say, complaining is easy and gratitude is shallow. Perhaps you say, you know, I haven't really delighted in anything new about Jesus for as long as I can remember. Or fear and courage. Fear instead of courage describes how you feel about college or getting old. So we need the stamp of the man after God's own heart to impress itself on ours so that those things can all be retuned. So I want, so do, we want do we want to be shaped by the blessed man on, in Psalm 1 that listen to the music and sing his songs. So what I'm about to say now is going to be really key and important for everything I'm going to say for the next couple of weeks. Right? The, the key to unveiling the Psalms, to, to seeing all the richness that is there, for us as new covenant believers, is to understand who the most blessed man is. Who is the most blessed man? In one sense, the blessed man could be any sinner, anyone in this room, who truly does see God and know him. All right, in Ephesians, it talks about that we are blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we, we, we are blessed by God. We, we can know that. We can walk in that. But who is the man? I mean, you, you read Psalm 1, you're like, this is so great. But it's like, it's not exactly me. You know, I know I'm blessed, but I, don't do, I, I have not done this perfectly in my life. So we ask ourselves, who is the man who is truly fully and perfectly fulfilled the picture of this blessed man described in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Who is it? Who is the one who never sat in the seat of a scoffer? The one who produced perfect fruit, who always prospered in doing God's will. Who was, in, who was never in danger of being swept away with the wicked? It's kind of a leading question that I hope you're following me on, all right? Who is it? It's Jesus, all right? Jesus is the blessed man. The one who always obeyed the Father in all things and at all times. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes this, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, as he describes Jesus. He is the blessed one. If I could insert a word there. He is the blessed man and he is the sovereign king. That's who he is. While a sinner like you and I can be blessed and walk in the ways of the Lord, it is only on the coattails of the one who perfectly walked that road before us. It is in the blessed one 
that we can be a blessed one. I quoted that verse from Ephesians 1, but I'm going to read it again without leaving out some words. Listen to how he says it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, what's the next two words, anyone know? In Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Those blessings don't just come directly to us. They come to us in Christ. They come to us through Christ and by Christ. So at one level, we may read and sing the Psalms longing to be and strive to be a blessed man, but none of us can know the blessing if we do not know the one who is the blessed man, who didn't just meditate on the law day and night, but he was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. Our blessed Savior who became a man to save sinners who could never be, who could never be the blessed man of Psalm 1 apart from him. So as we sing the Psalms, I want you to look for the heart of this blessed man expressed in the Psalms. You're going to find him in the human author, often David, expressing his heart for God. But you will also find the heart of our divine Savior on every page. You will find his heart in the Psalms. Let's move on to Psalm 2 for a minute. Because Psalm 2 also sets up the book of Psalms for us. It presents us with one of the most glorious messianic passages in all of Scripture. I say that it's a a messianic psalm. I'll, I'll say that again in the coming weeks. It's a psalm that's talking um, often most clearly about Jesus. Like, that we would actually give it that label. And this is one of the main ones. Like, you can't read this and not say this is talking about Jesus. Because the New Testament tells us it's talking about Jesus. So you can say it for sure. You know this is about it because the apostles tell us this is talking about him. This psalm speaks about the anointed one, the Messiah, who is to come to God's people. And this psalm tunes our ears to hear more about the anointed king and his identity as the son of God. So Psalm 1 kind of have your, has your average scoffer, the guy down the road who kind of mocks, mocks the truth. Then you get to Psalm 2, and now it's like, and then there's wicked rulers who do the same. But they've got more, they're kind of, they're plotting together. It's interesting, uh, in Psalm 1, it says that the blessed man meditates on God's law day and night. And then in Psalm 2, it says that the, the rules of this world, world are plotting against God's, God and his anointed one. And their plotting is the same word as the blessed man's meditating. So one group is thinking in, about how they're going to obey God, and one group is thinking about how they're going to rebel against him. And what does God do? Well, it says in verse 4 that he sits in the heavens, laughs. He laughs at their hateful and stupid ideas. I 
and he declares to them that he has a king that he has set in Zion. And he says to that king that he has set in Zion, verse 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This king is God's son. And this king will have all the nations as his heritage and the ends of the earth as his possession and he will rule and the rebels will be destroyed. Again, the New Testament tells us this this is not just talking about David or Solomon or any other earthly king. They are shadows. If you remember when we went through uh, Samuel a couple years ago, I mean, David's life is a, is a foreshadow of Jesus's. Him reigning as king is preparing God's people to understand that there is a greater king. So David does some things really well, but he only does them well this way, in tiny ways. Because the son of David is going to come, and he's going to do these things to the fullest. And he's going to do them eternally. Like He's not going to sit on the throne for a couple years or a couple decades. He's going to do so forever. He's not going to just rule over a small little kingdom, a small little place on earth. He's going to rule over all the nations. In fact, all the earth will be his possession. So there are four shadows. So Psalm 2 is, is playing the melody of the king into our ears so that as we read the rest of the psalms, we'll hear the echo of this king. Right? I mean, you're gonna, there's going to be a lot of psalms about the king, about the kingdom, about what's to come, about the reign of God, about the destruction of God's enemies. Like, there's all kinds of, of kingdom language, kingly language. So this psalm, like so many others, has so much more going on than just looking at a mere man. The true Son of God who sits on the throne of Zion is Jesus, and Jesus is the eternal King of the Psalms. And we know this again. Some of you know, like Psalm 22. How do you read that? It's about Jesus. All right? like, yeah, I mean, in some way it's about David, but you, when you read it, you're like, but it's about more than just David. And we know that it's true, that the, one man couldn't fulfill everything that's being described here. And it's pointing to something that even sometimes you're like, it doesn't even match David's life in certain aspects. David was speaking prophetically. Or we could look at Psalm 110, the king who's also a priest. Now, what I'm embarking us on is like a decades-long endeavor, meaning like I don't plan to stop. All right. And so the effect of these things will, will take time. Sometimes you'll, you'll sing a psalm, you're like, hmm, I have to think about that. And that's a great plan. Do it. All right. You'll notice there's an insert in your bulletin that has the song we're singing today. Like, take it home. It's just Psalm 1. I mean, you could read it from your Bibles. Or, but you could sing it, you know, um, that you're going to begin to be able to identify how is this song teaching me about the Lord. How is this song pointing me to Jesus? Sometimes it's going to be very directly. You know, I mean, the, the Psalms are varied, but I want us to have an eye to it. Because in them, we will find Christ's deity, his, 
His incarnation, his baptism, his suffering, his resurrection, his ascension, his authority, and his kingdom, and more, are all in the Psalms. It's a treasure chest of jewels that point us to Christ and reveal Christ to us. This is why it ought to be precious to us. So the next few weeks, we're going to drive deeper into the Psalms. And I want to be training us to listen to it with like new covenant ears. With a new covenant heart. That sees in them the things that weren't seen initially. Just when the, pro- like when the promise of Genesis 3.15 was first given, that wasn't clear to them. It's clear to us because we're on this side of the story. And the truth of the matter is, any, you know, when Christ returns, we're going to look back at the Psalms and be like, oh, look at that. There's even more we didn't see. You know? but, we, but we have the capacity at this point with God's Spirit and the truth of the gospel to look there and praise Him in a new covenant way with old covenant words. All right? So it is something. I want us to do it every week. Not slavishly, not promising we won't skip a week, but I want it to become a pattern for us as a church. A few weeks ago, uh, when one of our guys was preaching, um, my mind was wandering in a good way. You're allowed to do that, let your mind wander. Um, in fact, some of the mo- most important little things I write down in a sermon, it's like, oh, that, that thought triggered this thought, which triggered that thought. And that was a good thought, you know, like, he didn't even say it, the preacher didn't even say it, but like, my mind was wandering a bit, and I, and it went to the thought, you know, what, how would I respond if Jesus were to walk in the room right now? Um, and I think at different times in my life, I would have responded in different ways to that. I know there were times when I thought, Jesus walked in the room right now, I think I'd go run and hide. That's definitely crossed my mind at times. Um, there are times when I've thought, you know, I think I would just like want to watch from a distance. I mean, it's part of the stuff is my personality. I'm kind of like the guy who does like to kind of sit in the back of the room. Um, honestly, like, I don't usually think of like, I'm going to jump up and shout. Because I don't jump up and shout about anything. <laughs> it's kind of a problem. Talk to my wife. Um, you know, the word celebrate isn't like in my vocabulary. I have to like learn what that word means, you know? And so, but that, so like, like I, that's not what I've thought. Um, but that day, about a month ago, whatever it was, this is the thought I had. I thought, I think I would cry. And I think I'd want him to come sit by me. I don't think I'd want to talk either. I think I, I don't even think I need him to talk. Because I know he already knows everything about me. So there's nothing I need to say to him. That was my state in the moment. I, didn't, I, I wasn't going to ask him any questions. Oh, I got some questions. Tell me about before the flood, you know. Like that wasn't on my mind. Just being with him was on my mind. And, and, to, and, the, and the reason for the tears was, he really does know everything about me. 
and he still loves me. And that's the amazing part right there. It's pretty amazing he knows everything. It might even be pretty amazing that he loves me. But if he loves me and he knows everything, well, that's, that's, that's doubly amazing. And just to have him near me was enough. He is my perfect Savior who receives me as his own, and not because I deserve it. And he knows it too. He's like, Rob, I know you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. He receives me as his own. He's not asking me to earn anything from him. Psalm 2 ends with, blessed are those who take refuge in him. He wants to bless those who run to him and say, I need a place of refuge. Jesus, can I come to you? Psalm 2 actually says, kiss the son, right? That's what he says to the, the leaders of the world, kiss the son. Pay homage to him, bow before him in worship. Run to him for protection. He saves his people by his own blood on the cross. And he will raise them to life with him. And this is the Savior that we will find in the Psalms. And so I pray that that over time, that we will have our hearts reshaped and sharpened and retuned. And that they will show us Jesus. And that will make our worship fuller and better and more. And, and help us to endure this life with a worshipful heart and obedience to Christ, to, to be one who knows and worships the blessed man. So I was going to ask the musicians to come forward. Um, we're going we're gonna to sing um, Psalm 1. And um, you have, you don't, it's a tune you know, so I've, just so you know, practically speaking, I've, I've only chosen songs that we know the tunes to. So that's going to help us out a lot. Um, 